Hello, I'm Karen Hardwick, and in addition to being a clinically and spiritually trained therapist, I am a leadership consultant. As a result of my work and my own messy and beautiful journey, I know that connection is the antidote. On this podcast, I talk with people, leaders from all walks of life, who embody connection to self, to amazing grace, and as a result, to others. My guests are those who bravely choose true connection, even as they walk through some hard times. They hold their stories and the stories of others lightly and lovingly with authenticity and grace, empathy and gratitude. They are the ones awakening, broken wide open into wholeness. We are all recovering from something and the sharing of our stories is all about connection, not perfection. I have a chair here just for you. We are saving you a seat. In this episode, we're graced by Amy Seifert's real life, heart and soul wisdom, as she talks about the hands down, life-changing power of grace. Everyone needs to be listening to this message because we all need a little more grace. Okay, welcome to Saving You a Seat. And today, what a treat. We have the author of the daily meditation book, Grace Looks Amazing on You, Amy Seifert, with us. Amy is a writer and a speaker who unearths spiritual realities in our everyday lives. She takes you for a ride and drops you off back at home filled up with truth, love, and hope. And I can attest to all of those things, thanks to Amy. The one consistent theme throughout all of her conversations is having hope in Christ. With Amy, you will not find bumper sticker slogans, thank God, but a comfortability with the complexities of life where questions are more obvious than answers. She lives in Bowling Green with her husband and three amazing kids, and she is currently the director of Outward Movement at Brookside Church, where she speaks, teaches, and coaches. She was interviewed by CNN for the One Dress campaign to raise awareness for sex trafficking in Ohio, and she is a sought-after speaker and blogger. Amy, I could not be happier to have you here today. Oh, I am so excited to be with you. Thanks for inviting me on in this space. Yeah, you know, I have, as we talked a little bit about, I have such a love-hate relationship with social media, right? I'm so concerned about it for so many reasons, and yet there are these lovely things that bloom from it, like our connection. Um, so yes. I'm grateful for that. So one, one more reminder that we hold the tension of things very lightly, because here we are. So, yes, yes. I'm going to start off by lifting up your book, Grace Looks Amazing on You 100 Days of Reflecting God's Love. And I have to tell you, I was having a meeting with a corporate executive client of mine yesterday, and she was asking me, Amy, about my morning routine. Like, what is it, Karen, that you do? 
often it's really a long ass routine because it takes me a long time to to ground myself. Yeah, it's a long one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for that <laughs> for sure. Jeez. So I said, look, this is what I do. This is what works for me. I read certain Bible passages. I journal. I do a Christian meditation. I do centering prayer. I pray. I listen. I read my 12-step literature. You know, by now it's lunchtime, you know, like it's time to start. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. There's a snack in there somewhere. (laughs) And then I said to her, and the thing that I have added most recently is I read this daily meditation from Amy's book, and I gave her the title of it because Amy, I have to say, it's real. It's uplifting. It's so good. So... What made you write this? Like, what brought you to writing this particular book? Yes. Well, thank you for sharing my book and recommending it and adding it to your very important morning. Um, I think it's amazing. You know, I'm a firm believer that we we write about what we need to know, what we need to soak in, what we need to learn, right? And as a recovering, mm, like perfectionist, people pleaser, all the things, Grace has really... It's, it has been something I've wanted to focus in and look all around for a long time. Um, and I think because our culture, because the idea of grace is, is getting what you don't deserve. And we operate in an, in an earning, earning life, right? Like I put in my hours, I get my paycheck and just this idea of like, you put in and you get out, but God's grace is different. And I, I can't get over it. I'm a little obsessed with the gifts, like gift and grace are synonymous. And I'm obsessed with, with that idea that there's gifts everywhere. Well, and it's kind of sort of like the more you pay attention to grace, the more it shows up. You know, I'm a grateful member of the 12-step recovery community. And that is one of our big things is we recover by no effort of ours. You know, like, yes, we have to work the steps and yes, we have to surrender. And yes, we have to go to our meetings and do all the things, but that's still not about our effort. It's not earned. God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so, yes, I love what you write. I'm going to quote it here. Grace is woven with gift after gift from God. It's about him, who he is, what he has done not us, and who we are or aren't. And it's about trusting in Jesus, our true source of grace, and reflecting his love to the world. And I need to read that like one moment at a time. I kind of sort of want to get it tattooed on my back, but then I couldn't see it, but it's too long to have it on my arm. So (laughs) I'm just thinking... Yes, to everything you said and wrote, because we live in this world where we're hustling for approval, right? Yes. Oh, constantly. Yes. And to take that off and to say, I'm loved because I exist. I'm loved because I'm created by God in his image. I'm loved not by checking off a to-do list, which is hard as an Enneagram three. And I just need these truths. Every day, like you're saying. Yep. Well, if we're now confessing our Enneagram numbers, mine is a two, which means okay. I am this ongoing re- recovering higher power. Like I believe I can save you and rescue you and do all those things to prove to you 
how lovable I am. Mm. So my self-worth in my own mind gets inflated in really twisted ways. And grace has brought me home every time. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Right? I mean, it's just, it helps us to, well, for me, it helped me to embrace humility. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There, there was this moment, it's just everyday normal moment, um, about a year ago, you saying humility, I I always picture, um, hands that are open and there's nothing in them, but they're open and ready to receive, um, and, or give, right? Like this open handedness, my, my neighbor, I, we ran out of dish soap for the dishwasher and I always run it at night. So in the morning, I, I'm ready with my dishes. And I texted her at 10 PM, which I was like, is this too late? I wonder if she has any dishwasher pods. Like we are out. Could we, could this happen? And she was like, yes, I'll, I'll meet you in the cul-de-sac. Like I'll be right out. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. And my husband was like, I'll meet her out. It's fine. Well, she was in bed. She had taken all her makeup off. Like she was just, you know, ready to go to bed. But she came out, she scooped up two handfuls of dishwasher pods, ran out to my husband. And the only way he could have received that was open, humble hands and just say, thank you. And she just dumps them in there. But it's this perfect moment of humble grace, receiving gifts dishwasher pods. And he came back in, he's like holding on to them and on his chest and he'd like, <laughs> and I just think this is what it is like to ask, to receive, to be humble enough to have open hands. But right before that you had to ask, that's the hard part. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause you, cause there's rejection in there with being to asking and being humble. Um, there's, yeah, it's risky, right? Mm-hmm. It really is. It really is. So I wanted to ask you, what has been one of the messiest, most complicated seasons in in your life where you really felt like, I need grace more now than ever, and I don't know how to tap into it? Oh, hmm. which one? Yeah. (laughs) I am going to say when my son was so, so, so sick. And we couldn't figure out why for several weeks, months. And then he was finally diagnosed with Crohn's disease at age 11. And uh, I think any time for anybody listening, whenever you're trying to figure out what is wrong, like a diagnosis season, that's so maddening because you don't have answers. You only have questions. And I felt really, um, it was dark. Like at least when you have something named, then you can you can start to go for it, but this unnamed thing. So I think I found grace all over the place during that time through community and connection with others, through quiet mornings, through various, just various moments. But uh, I felt desperate. That was a desperate time in our life. Well, first of all, you're talking about, uh, you know, for our mama hearts, Mm-hmm. To not be able to fix, yeah, take it from them, it really brings us to our knees. I don't think there's anything more terrifying than knowing I cannot put my superhero cape on and, and do anything. I, I don't even know what no. to do even if I 
could. So it's this moment of of complete powerlessness. Yeah, helplessness. Yes, yes. Yeah, and you're, I felt like there were moments I was just like clawing for, for grace, for a gift, for an answer. And even, even when he did get diagnosed, I wished I could have it. Like I wish I was the one that was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I would, I would like to take it and I couldn't. And accepting that this is the path for my son is a really big, that was a big acceptance can be a huge part of the grace journey too. Yeah. Yeah. Because just because we have this faith and this relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that we get to leapfrog over the difficult parts of life. We right. don't get a pass. Right. No, we don't get a pass. But I take great encouragement that um, I think it was Dallas Willard who said, if you're looking for God, you'll find him in the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. The pain is what heals us. And that's where we that's where we connect, I think, to our deepest faith moments. So I'm going to tell you this story that happened just the other night. I, I was awoken. I don't know really what woke me up. But I woke up, and this goes to what you were talking about, about God being in the suffering. I woke up with this image in my mind of being asked to give my burdens and worries and wounds to God. Mm-hmm. So it's like 3 a.m., and I'm visualizing myself, Amy, like giving him all this stuff. There's a lot. So giving him this. And he's standing there with this box. And as I take my shit and give it into this box, the box turns into a treasure chest. This is all happening like visually in my head. Wow. And for me, I I want to share that. I was writing about it this morning because I think it's really important for us to understand as painful as the painful moments are, as uncertain as we are to how it will all work out, as much as we may suffer, there's something in that suffering that leads us into a transformation that that our wounds actually become treasures and I'm not at all sugarcoating the pain of what we go through. Right, right. But that really just stuck with me that this is a that our wounds become transformed and are held in a treasure chest. That's amazing. Yeah, what do you think about I that? <laughs> I find that phenomenal. I love it. I I also have had some like glimpses, dreams, sort of visions in that way that you couldn't have made up yourself and it, you, you that's an anchor for your soul. What a gift. What grace, right? Like that's phenomenal. And it makes, it lines up. Sometimes I think, well, let's do the math with Jesus, right? Um, that's absolutely true, right? He took a cross and brought a resurrection out of it. Like he, I mean, talk about gold from dirt, right? Treasures from, from darkness. Yeah. I mean, I think that's gorgeous. I'm encouraged. <laughs> Um, well, I recently started spiritual direction, which is something I've wanted to do for a really long time. And I think it's just awakening a, a deeper sense of awareness in me. One of your my favorite lines in your book, Jesus is not afraid 
of the dirt in our lives. And I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Because <laughs> we got a lot of it. We got a lot of dirt. <laughs> yes. It's true. And I, I don't know if that's where I talk about him getting down with the disciples and washing their dirty feet. Yes. And also how that leads to connection and relationships. It's like in the dirt yes. that we find each other and that he's not afraid of that. And I think about how much energy is spent hiding the dirt. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. We're not wanting to go near it because we think that's not fun. That's not, you know, any number of things. But that's, you're right. That's where connection is. That's where the uncovering is. Even, I mean, talk about humility. We have Jesus kneeling before his creation in the dirt of their their feet. There's an intimacy there. We connect through the cracks, right? Like that this is, yeah, our dirt brings connection and grace for sure. Yeah. It's such a comforting thought for me Mm. that we can lean into the dirt a little bit, but we can get dirty and not be ashamed of it, but figure out how is this going to serve my growth? Mm. Yes. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. To not be afraid of the dirt. And when you think about even just gardening, the, the only way you get beautiful flowers or vegetables or fruit is getting in the dirt and getting dirty and planting and coming with, you know, under your nails, all of it. But such beauty comes from allowing yourself to be in the dirt. It's so funny that you say that because I just had a conversation. I don't know if you know her or not. Christy Purifoy? I don't. Wrote The Garden Maker. Oh, I think you just posted about this, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I posted about it. I just spoke with her earlier this morning. She has this beautiful garden-making life and talks so beautifully about the power of the garden and the Christian faith and how it's a metaphor for so many things in our lives, struggle and darkness and rotting soil and blooms. And she does it in a way that's so beautiful. And here you are using the same kinds of metaphors. Yes. I mean, one of my favorite things, I talk about this in Grace Looks Amazing, is that we're called oaks of righteousness, the plantings of the Lord in Isaiah 61. Okay. So I loved that section too. Say more about that. I have been obsessed with Isaiah 61 for a long time because it's weird when when Jesus first talks about his ministry and opens up his ministry, he goes right to the Isaiah scroll and reads this section and that he's come to free the oppressed and he's come to restore and redeem and and bring beauty from ashes. I mean, I just have poured over that, but he call, I just love that he calls us oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, as if we're hand planted by God and He's going to do something with us, through us, in us, but that um, he's going to tend to us, garden us. I just, I love being called an oak. I mean, oaks, I think I say oaks are no joke. Like they are for real, uh, strong, steady. They bend, but they don't break in storms. Um, Yeah. All those rich metaphors. It's so cool that you're talking about Jesus as the gardener, because just a couple of weeks ago, a good, dear friend of mine who's really tuned in sent me the Luke 13 passage in which the fig tree 
It's not bearing any fruit. And so the owner of the estate says to the gardener, like, cut it down. And the gardener, Jesus, says, and I really have to pay attention to this, leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, hands off, Karen. Let me, right? yes. Let me garden it. Let me dig around it. Let me fertilize it. So leave good. it alone. If we take it one more step here, Karen, I think it's interesting that in one of the Gospels, Mary mistakes Jesus for the gardener at the resurrection. I think it's interesting that at all there's a garden going on right there. Yeah. I love that whole metaphor. So you might want to take a look at Christie's book. It could really be a great season kind of encourager for you. Let me ask you this. Tell us about the story of the one gray dress. (laughs) So, um, man, it's such a, it's a story that's, that's woven with like tenderness. But also I look back and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have done some things differently. But I was really overwhelmed by hearing story after story of sex trafficking that was, that is continuing to happen at the 8090 and I-75 crossroads, right? 15 minutes, 15 miles from me. Um, and the more that was being uncovered and we have a safe house for girls that we support. And I thought, what does it look like to raise awareness for this? And I took a cue from a woman who in New York wore one black dress for, um, education for kids for six months. And just, it was just a cool way to raise awareness. So I took a dress and I wore it (laughs) for six months straight um, I hand washed it probably every three days and there was a wedding in there that I was in. And so it w- I made it a scarf, <laughs> like I had it on my person, <laughs> um, just got creative, but I just continued to learn and share facts, um, about sex trafficking and things we could do. And it just was a creative way to, to bring awareness. But when I do look back at that time, social media, that love, hate, um, relationship. There are points where I'm like, huh, I think I made this project about me at different times way more than about raising awareness and bringing relief. And so just like anything though, we're, I've got to look back and have self-compassion because we're this, this, these walking contradictions, right? We never are pure hearted about all the things. It was something I tried, but yeah, then CNN got a hold of me midway through and... <laughs> came and did a little interview and it was fun. It was, it was a fun season, six months, quite, it was a long time. (laughs) It's a long time to wear one dress. It's also a long time to find the balance between humility and doing something for all the wonderful right reasons Yep, and learning how to keep our egos in check. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were doing it for one day, fine. Right. But six months is a long time to kind of hold that all intention. And it's it's difficult because people could put us up on a pedestal or project stuff onto us. And it's really hard to find our footing with that when we have some kind of a platform, big platform, small platform, whatever it is, even if it's just for five minutes. Yep. How do we not make this about us, even though we've been given gifts and visibility? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's a, it's a struggle. And, um, I think that there was, I mean, it's, it's sweet to think about like God's mercies are new every morning. Right. And mercy and grace, they go hand in hand. And I just love the, the thought of like, God, I, just just taking that season to him and saying, I hope that there was something that was beautiful to you. And I know it all wasn't, but there's grace and mercy for all of it. And you never yeah. run out of that for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's an endless stream, isn't it, Amy? It, it is just really feels. And I think, as I said before, like the more grace that we're tuned into, it feels like the more grace we notice. Yes. And at the end of the day, it becomes all grace. Yes, it really is. All gift. I mean, this breath that you and I are using to talk to each other, that's grace, right? Like yeah. we, we have these gifts here. Oh yeah. I was in all my research, I was just really struck by Hebrews 4.16 that says that we can come boldly and confidently to the throne of grace. And I was like, he named his throne grace. Like this is awesome. Like it just flows. Like he sits upon grace. He's all about, like he just, it flows toward us. Yeah. It's been sweet to think about that. So how do your kids feel about grace? Oh, they're hilarious. Like <laughs> when mama writes a book about grace and they're like, can I have grace? Can I have grace? You know, like so funny. Like, <laughs> I'm like, um, there's a time for grace, but right now there's a time for obedience and consequences. I'm like, you know, like so yes. <laughs> homework, bedtime, exactly. All it's so funny. Um, or, or the idea of like grace is like, sometimes grace is my gift to you is giving, putting you to bed so that you have a lot of sleep for like functioning tomorrow at school. You know, like that's part of the gifts I'm giving you, these boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries. Mm -hmm. Boundaries are grace too, right? Yes. Yes. Our yeah. loving grace. Like uh, no is a holy word. Oh, I, that I have, so my daughter is 10 and there is, you know, fourth grade girl drama, of course. Mm. And she's learning to flex her no muscle and it's hard. And I want her to learn to build that up now. It took me a long time, like in my, my twenties where I felt confident using the word no. So I'm like, okay, let's start at 10. And I said to Olive, I said, babe, you can say no, no is a holy word. And she looked at me. <laughs> you just could see the wheels turning. And I was like, like it's a set apart word that we can use and it's, it's honoring to us. It's honoring to others. I, I was like, how do I best explain this to a 10 year old? <laughs> but I, it's so good. You, you use that phrase. I love, well, I, I need to remind myself of that phrase again, yes. every moment. No is a holy word. And I had a friend really urge me to understand that. No, let your no be no. Yes. <laughs> No explanation, yep. no justification, yes. sometimes just no. It's a complete sentence. Right. And it's, and it's holy. It, it gives ourselves grace. And dignity. And I think it allows other people to sit with their stuff. Yes. And figure out what's going on with them. Right? So it's really this invitation. It's invitational. It's empowering when someone else says no with a period. You're like, huh, 
if she can say no, maybe I can say no. <laughs> yeah, that invitation. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I wind up every one of these podcast conversations, wishing they could go on for a really long time, or I wish I could meet you out in the cul-de-sac and we could just (laughs) hang out there. Um, But before you tell our listeners where they can find you, I want to ask you one last question, and that is, if you could save a seat for anybody, Amy, and have a, a really rich conversation, who would that be and why? My husband, Rob, lost his dad when he was one. His father was a Cincinnati police officer killed in the line of duty in the 70s. And so he never knew his dad. But when we look at pictures, he is the spitting image of him. And I would love to sit down with Daddy Bob, we call him, and just get to know the father of my husband. And uh, I mean more than a couple hours, I mean, just days. So that's, I would sit down with daddy Bob and pick his brain and get to know him. There's special grace needed for those boys in our lives who grow up without a father. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Daddy Bob, that's a sweet name. Isn't that? Mm -hmm. I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where can our listeners find you, Amy? I love the gram. I'm on Instagram um, at Amy Seifert. And then um, amyseifert.com is my website. Um, I'm on Facebook too, but yeah, amyseifert.com. So spell Seifert for us so they know how to do that. Mm -hmm. That's that German E-I. So A-M-Y-S-E-I-F-F-E-R-T. Perfect. I'm sure they'll be looking for you. So, and and make sure that they understand the title of Amy's book is Grace Looks Amazing on You, 100 Days of Reflecting God's Love. Amy, this has been Grace. Thank you. Oh, So delighted. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. You're welcome. Bye. We'll talk soon. Okay. Your listening means so much, so please hit the subscribe button and join us for the next episode. To tune into the power of connection and transform your life at home and at work, please also get my book, The Connected Leader. It is available on Amazon and all online book retailers. And visit our page, connectedleaderbook.com. Stay connected.